The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, we are in the uh, sermon series called The Story, and the story is basically going through the entire Bible, uh, and we had started this before I was here. We started this earlier in this year, and now we took a little break, and now we're in the New Testament. And I would say we're getting close to the climax of the story. The pinnacle part of the story, where Jesus goes to the cross, where he rises from the dead, where the church is kind of set ablaze. So right now, we're a little bit before that. We're in the hour of darkness, those moments before Jesus went to the cross, where he's in the upper room with his disciples, and he washes their feet. And I like this because it it reminds me of Jesus knowing who he is. There's a verse in here we're going to camp on. It it reminds Jesus, this is who you are and this is what you came to do. (laughs) It rings true for me because I did not grow up in one place. I don't know if any of you guys moved, but I didn't move as much as someone in the military or uh, some other jobs that bounce every 18 months or so, but I moved around a little bit. So I, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and that's kind of where our family is in or around St. Louis. And then when I was three, we moved to Pennsylvania. And then four and a half, we moved to Oklahoma. And then sixth or seventh grade, we moved to Spring, Texas. I did junior high and high school in spring, and then I said, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going where there's no sweating, and there's beautiful white winters, and I went to St. Paul, Minnesota. But during that time, there was kind of a moment I learned something about myself. I realized, oh my goodness, my family and our friends in St. Louis aren't going to get to see, like, my whole life. They're going to see little snippets, little little snapshots, little pictures of every six months I'll get to see my aunt or my uncle or grandparents. And it was during that time that I, I learned there's kind of a game going on here. And there, there wasn't. But in my head, there was. There was this game where if I wanted them to see something about my life, I had to make it look like that during that short amount of time. So I would put the nice clothes on, put the smile on my face, tell every, all the people that, hey, this is what I did in the past six months. And I, I knew how to put on kind of that identity during that time. And, and when I went to college, it was, there was a string of, like, college movies where they're like, hey, you know what? This is late 90s. They're like, late 90s, early 2000s. They're like, hey, when you go to college, you can be anything you want to be. If you were the jock and you want to be the poet, you can do that. If you want to do a whole 180, you can do that. If you want to change your look or be whoever you want to be, there's freedom to do that. So I went to college. And I was like, I can try on new identities. Nobody knows me. So try this. Okay. Try this. Okay. And, and there was a moment where it kind of hit, and I was like, this doesn't work uh, to keep swapping in and out. I have to figure out what's going on in here. Like, what's the core? What's the one thing? Who am I really? And I didn't find it just by looking in the mirror. I don't know if, if, if you lived in the same spot your whole life. Maybe you didn't have that moment. Um, but maybe it looks like this. I want to have an identity that I show the world. So... 
in that Instagram photo, I, I do it all right, all the filters are there, so that you can see how beautiful my life is and how awesome my pictures are from my most recent trip, yada, yada, yada. Or that Facebook thing where I hit delete seven times before I send it out because maybe it's not perfect. Or that text, when you're having like a text conversation with somebody, and you're like, I just can't blurt it out, and I'm not sitting with you face to face, but... I just do this, and I, I show you the best version of myself. Maybe not the version that's really there, but I show you the best version of myself. I don't know if you guys have, have dealt with that before. It's something I've dealt with. And um, I think what we're talking about today, when we look at Jesus, he is cool, confident, and collected. And it starts because he knows his identity. And if you want the little uh, three-by-five note card version of this sermon, here's the goal. I want you guys to realize your identity and then live it out. Very simple. Realize who you are. Live that out. And we're going that way in uh, three different ways. We're going to look at Jesus. We're going to see, hey, he knew his identity. We're going to look at that and kind of explore that a little bit. Then we're going to see that Jesus gives us an identity. And then we're going to see how he shows us how to live it out. So let's dive in. Um, when Jesus knows his identity, there's, there's some important things there. When he's really young, like 12 or so, there's that shot in the Bible where you kind of see, oh, there's that picture where he says, I have to be about my father's business. And his parents freak out. He's at the temple. They're all on a road trip. And, and there's distance there. He knows at a young age who he is. But in, in our text for today, we see uh, verse 3. And verse 3 has three important clauses in it. And the first one is that it goes like this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. I love how it starts here. We're, we're about to hear about him washing feet and then he'll go to the cross. But it starts here with Jesus knowing that all things were in his hands, that he was in control. Genesis 1, before uh, humans get created, it says... Let us make man in our image. And it's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Let us make man in our image. And that points, that us and that our points to a relationship that was happening in creation. That it wasn't just the Father speaking things out into existence, but there was more going on there. It was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all active in creation. So when it says... The Father put everything in his hands. It's like, oh, well, yeah, well, that makes sense. He was there when it was spoken into being. Of course, everything is in his hands. The second part of verse 3 says, and that he had come from God. He had come from God, and the third part says, and he's going back to God. I love that progression of God coming to us and then going back. It's a beautiful progression in the Bible. My favorite Bible verse, I think I nailed it. I figured out, you know, that question comes up, hey, what's your favorite Bible verse? I'm like, I don't know. That's not helpful. There's a whole book. Thank you very much. And uh, I don't know. I can't just pick one. But as I was looking through previous sermons I've written and um, things that just kind of sink into my heart, there's a verse from earlier in John that says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Or the, world, the word became flesh. The word is Jesus, and he moved into the neighborhood. And it's this progression of Jesus having 
been there at creation, equal parts of the Father and the Spirit, he decides to come down and to be with the creation. And he's doing that on mission so that he can go back. I love that. It's a beautiful picture. And the thing about this verse is we get this little glimpse. I think the disciples kind of had it in there. They're like, there's something special about this rabbi. Uh, He's not normal. And there's something special about him. And John, as he writes this book, kind of gives us a hint. It's like, well, he's God. And he'd come down and he's going back up. And I think us seeing his identity is very, very important. When you walked in this building today, if you didn't zoom past all the doors and park in that corner, but if you parked somewhere over here, you saw all these arrows. You can kind of see a few of them on that window under the exit sign. And on those arrows, it says adventure, then a bunch of arrows, community, a bunch of arrows, transformation, sending, A-C-T-S. We've adopted that. That's been our identity of, hey, these are the things that we value. And this is part of our identity. And that's really helpful because it shows us what we are and what we're doing. And it also shows us where we're going. Another way to look at that is this. If it's a Friday or Saturday or Sunday and 11 people put the same shirt on, and then put the same gear on, and they look across at a different set of 11 people in a pink shirt that is the same color, same gear on. They're obviously playing football. And, and when you have that identity kind of put on you, you know, hey, this is what I'm here to do. And, and this is where I'm going. And it could be either football It could be the soccer football, because there's 11. Or it could be the throwing football, which should be called handball. But when you put those things on, you know two things. One, your identity shapes your mission. When you put on the pads or when you put on the cleats, your identity shapes your mission. You know, hey, because this is true about me, I know where I'm going. And then, but you don't just sit there. You, when you put on the gear, Your identity also shapes your action. It leads to action. There's a progression there. So when we dive back in the John 13 story, Jesus knew his identity. The story starts with everything was in his hands. He knew he'd come from the Father and that he was going back to the Father. And it doesn't just stop there. It's not a sideline game. Jesus hops into the action. So it says, This is verse 3, and we've got to see how perfectly it flows. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, he rose from the table. He rose from the table. And if you're a disciple, this meal, everything's kind of taken care of for you. And, and, but Jesus rises up, and, and it's strange because he was the rabbi. He was the leader of this herd of people. And as soon as he takes off his outer garments, I imagine jaws just hitting the floor and eyes getting big. Not because he took his shirt off or whatever, but because that was the posture of a servant. And in Jewish culture, there's a couple things that happened. One, 
There's this beautiful blessing that, that disciples and rabbis have. And the blessing is, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And that idea is, hey, if I'm following a rabbi, I want to follow so closely that the dirt that he has kicks up and covers me. So when he's taking a left, I'm taking a left. When he's taking a right, I'm taking a right. And the dirt from his sandals covers me. Because when you follow a rabbi in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, you're walking and your feet get dirty. Second thing, when he gets up and takes off the outer garments, they're shocked because what he's doing is pretty absurd. And it might be a little bit appalling, and there's probably some shame that's happening there. Because traditionally, you would have the master of the house. He would be here, and and he would provide a servant to wash feet. And they'd have Jewish servants and Gentile servants. And this wasn't even a job for the Jewish servants. It's like, no, that's... This is too low of a task. This is for a Gentile servant. So Jesus, with all of his identity, knowing that he is God, he comes down and he takes the form of the lowest servant in the house. And he pours water in a basin and he cleans their feet and then he dries it off with his towel and you got to think their faces were just on the floor. How could you do that? You're Jesus. You're the guy we've been following. And it, it, it's small. Like, it's, it's a minuscule thing. It's, it's a job for a slave or a servant. But it points us to what he's about to do. Where, where this was absurd, washing the feet was absurd, what he was about to step into the next few days was even more appalling. It's even more shameful. Instead of doing this, this was a temporary cleansing because you'd walk around in the dirt. Your feet got dirty, so you washed them off. And then you stepped out of the house, and then your feet got dirty, so you washed it off. So the absurdity that this was was highlighted even more when the maker of everything, the Father put everything into his hands when he took those hands and went to the cross. Everything was put into his hands. All the sins were put into his hands. The the sins we talk about, like, oh, hey, that person is a gossip, or that person stole something or cheated, those were put into his hands. The sins that we don't like to talk about, the lust, that was put on his hands. The sins that bring so much shame that you're like, Barrett, please do not bring that up, because I don't want to think about that right now. Those deep things that hit us to the core, that was put on his hands. And it wasn't just a cleansing that lasted for a minute. He took them to the cross, and those sins died with him. When he died, and he said, it is finished, to die in the Greek, it was to the end. The sins were done. Verse 1 of this text says uh, that he had loved his disciples, he had loved those people that he was with to the end. And that's the end of, yeah, one, it's being a servant, and I'm going to love you to this end, to the end of service, but it's also, I'm going to love you to the end of your life, to the end of my life. That was his vision of love, of him saying, it is finished, of him saying, 
you're forgiven because I love you to the end. John's gospel has a uh, unique kind of viewpoint that, that God is up here and, and we're here and, and sin is this barrier. The effects of sin, there's a barrier in between us. And so when he sends Jesus down, it's to fix this barrier. So when Jesus spread his arms on the cross and said, you're forgiven, the barrier between God and his creation was no more. So Jesus knew his identity and it moved him to action. And it moved him to give us a new identity. So when Jesus, or when the Father looks down, he looks through Jesus and he looks at you and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, I delight in you. You're forgiven. That's the new viewpoint. So that's the identity that he gives upon you. I told the people in the first service that I had to rethink of grace in a new way. And it had been about two years ago that it kind of brought this out to me. That when I thought of the word grace, I was taught in confirmation class that it means God's riches at Christ's expense. I was like, that works. One, it's an acronym. Two, it's true. But the thing I would focus on was the last two words, Christ's expense. And it would get me thinking, oh, that's my fault. So I took this beautiful thing, God's love, and I twisted it into shame on myself. And so what I did, I was in a class, and my professor who was very wise, and he wore all these awesome hats. I don't know if you get a professor like that. They're the best. He wore these hats, and he said, in confirmation, I stopped teaching grace as God riches at Christ's expense. And my ears perked up because I was like, okay, I'm feeling you. I know what that's like. And he says, I had to say it like this. Grace is God's delighting over you like a child. It's God's favor over you. It's God smiling and celebrating you as a child. Because it's pure, it's one way. It's him saying, I love you. I don't look at your faults. Grace means that I smile on you because you're my child. And that's what is happening in this text. When Jesus takes your sins to the cross, it changes your identity and you're looked at like a beautiful child of God. But he doesn't leave you there, which is helpful. It is very helpful. And that's the third thing. He takes you and he gives you something to do. He says, I want to show you how to live. This verse is, uh, it's found in chapter, it's 13, verse 14. It's, if then, if I then, your teacher and your Lord, and teacher is code word for rabbi, dust coming on you, you following, it's a natural thing, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. In this story, we get to see Jesus as Savior, because he died for your sins. And we get to see him as, hey, lead example. Follow him and do what he does. It's a beautiful kind of tension, and that's what being a disciple is like. It's, this is true. You saved me, and you're not just going to leave me there. You're going to give me things to do. August, end of August, I was surfing the internet, and I came across Justin Bieber because he's on the internet all the time, every month, 
for something new. And I saw something, a photo of him, and I, it looked like something that I had had. He had a WWJD bracelet on. And if you grew up in youth group in the 90s, you know what this is. It's a bracelet that stands for WWJD, what would Jesus do? And so we all got him and we're like, oh, hey, what color did you get? Oh, that's great, but I got this color. And it was some weird kind of Christian culture thing that happened uh, in youth group. But some people were very astute theologically, and they're like, well, you're saying what would Jesus do? That puts all the onus on you. What are you talking about? It's what he did for you. And so they changed it to what did Jesus do? And you're like, okay, really? Really? And we're going to have this theological conversation over a little piece of Christian subculture? They're like, WWJD? WDJD? And in this story, you get both kind of held together. It's, what did Jesus do? Yeah, he gave you life. He forgave your sins. But what would Jesus do? Well, he says it right here. Follow my example. Go and serve. Serve your neighbor. Serve the ones you care about. Early this morning, I, I saw a picture of uh, someone, and they were massaging the feet of another person who was laying in a bed. They'd been in an accident, and because of the nerves, they had to massage the feet of this person. And I was like, oh, hey, thanks, God. That's right in line with what we're talking about. And it was two people I really didn't like, expect to see the picture of because it was two high school boys. There's this guy's like, I love you and I want to serve you that I will put the gloves on and I will rub your smelly feet. And that is beautiful. On Monday, I walked into here and I got to see it again. I walked in here and it was different. This place was different. The decor was the same, uh, but the atmosphere was different. And that's because Acts of Love opened up on Monday. And so I walked in and I had balloons because I wanted to celebrate acts of love, and it's starting, and I peered through the window, and Katie was there holding this little baby, and she was just kind of beaming, you know? She was like, this is so cool. Like, this is happening right now. And so I gave her the balloons, and the baby was in the other room, and um, she was showing off her office and everything, and she picked this up, and she said, Barrett, I'll read it to you so you know what it is. It's got a big seal. Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, Child Care Licensing Division, recognizes that Catherine Evans complies with the director qualifications stated in a bunch of numbers issued October 7, 2015. Yeah, we got some people that are doing like the silent golf clap thing. That's awesome. What she said to me, kind of like, nope, not going to do it. Um, what she said to me kind of made me choke up. She said, Barrett, this piece of paper, and then she pointed out, hey, this piece of paper is crooked. They printed it and put the seal on, and it's all crooked, so I should be holding it like this. She said, Barrett, this crooked piece of paper means more to me than my college diploma. And I was like, of course it does. I'm going to go over here because I don't want a ball. <laughs> She's like, this crooked piece of paper gives me the chance to serve this community. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. I need a picture of that. You're going in a sermon. Here we are. So I hope that you realize what your identity is. 
that God looks at you with favor. I don't want those, those deep sins that you're like, well, you know, I know I'm forgiven, but, but there's still something there that kind of irks me. I hope that he drills down and says, when you confess this, it's gone. There's favor over you. He loves you. You're forgiven. Have peace. And then I also hope that you be covered in the dust of your rabbi and that you find your crooked piece of paper that you can look at and say, this is important because it's me following my Savior. I hope you guys find that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. You give us opportunities to, to serve you, and it's not so that we can earn your favor because you've already said, I love you and you're forgiven. You gave us an identity and you called us your sons and your daughters, and it's incomprehensible sometimes. Thank you for that. Show us opportunities where we can follow you and get dirty in the dust of you, where we can serve our neighbor, and we can follow your example. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.